Hey there, InstructureCast fam! Get ready to jump into all things education with us. With a passion for teaching and learning as our compass, we'll embark on a journey filled with engaging conversations, insightful interviews, and a celebration of all the amazing things you bring to our community. Whether you're a seasoned teacher or a fresh-faced administrator, we are here to ignite that spark of inspiration and keep your enthusiasm soaring. So hit that subscribe button, come hang out with us on social, in a totally chill way, we promise, and spread the ed love with your entire crew. Together, we'll create a symphony of knowledge, sharing our experiences and learning from one another. And make sure to check out the Instructure community as it awaits you with open arms, brimming with more incredible content, valuable advice, and a network of like-minded individuals. Join the adventure and let's groove, learn, and celebrate education like never before, right here on InstructureCast. Hey there, and welcome to InstructureCast. I'm your host, Ryan Lufkin. Flying solo this week as Melissa is out, but I'm glad you were able to join us for this week's episode. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, educational institutions and, you know, what their New Year's resolutions might be. Uh, and a lot of those are really focused around uh, how do we use data better to support institutional research, student success, advising, and really drive continuous innovation, especially as AI becomes more and more prevalent, uh, you know, in the industry uh, and in the world as a whole. Uh, so many institutions have been working with massive amounts of data over a period of time, and, and they're looking for ways to use these new innovative tools. So I'm very, very excited uh, to have our guest today join us, you know, specifically with your background in in uh, both data and AI. It's my pleasure to introduce Bart Purcell. Uh, he's the interim CEO for Unison. So Bart, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me, Ryan. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, welcome. Uh, and, and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So uh, I have been in higher ed my entire career, spans about 25 years. The vast majority of that uh, was at Penn State University. Spent a lot of them still still here in central Pennsylvania. I uh, worked at Penn State for about 22 years, started in online learning. So spent a lot mm-hmm. of time working with faculty, doing a lot of things in online learning. Then when I got my doctorate degree, moved into the teaching and learning center and found myself doing some institutional research as well as faculty development. And when you mentioned data, that was the first time the light bulb sort of went off in my world that, wow, these institutions have so much information. So much information, yeah. So few people seem to leverage it, right? For a wide variety of complex reasons. But it was uh, very eye-opening to me. And then after moving on from the teaching center, I was in academic technology for about a decade. And one of the teams that I had a chance to manage there was a learning analytics team. So I uh, spent a lot of time working with data to support student success, to support reflective teaching practices and those kind of things. So yeah. uh, it was a lot of fun. And across this whole journey, I also pretended to be a faculty member for a few years. Uh-huh. So I had some some time uh, in the classroom, both the virtual and, and face-to-face classroom, and still do some teaching from time to time as an affiliate faculty member at Penn State. It's funny, our backgrounds actually kind of Cross paths a couple of times. I was, I was with, uh, spent a lot of time in Malvern, Pennsylvania back in the day mm-hmm. when I was with, you know, SCT and SunGuard. And so, uh, know that area, know a lot of Penn graduates, the Penn State graduates that were, uh, employed by them working. And so, yeah, just, just funny how we have kind of those, those shared paths. But, you know, one of the things I like to say is that there's a lot of silver linings from the global pandemic, right? Uh, including the use of data. I think before, COVID, uh, data was a little more taboo, right? There was a lot, there was a fear of using data. Largely it was viewed as, you know, are you going to use this as a, 
uh, to punish uh, educators, to punish students, to focus <laughs> on a small subset of students, right? And I feel like that perception of data, the uh, use of data really has progressed so aggressively here in the last four uh, years in a really positive way. And so tell me a little bit about Unison and, and the work you've been doing there, uh, just, you know, specifically to help schools drive, use data better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Unison does a lot of things. And, and the data part is really what drew me to Unison, right, is that uh, we're a consortium of, of 14 institutions. Uh, the, the Unison consortium has really what we like to call four pillars. The first pillar is the Unison data platform. And I apologize if I start slipping into acronyms. We're really good at that right in higher Look, education. Higher education so. loves their acronyms. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you'll, you'll hear UDP probably a lot, which is our, mm-hmm. our data platform. Uh, so we have the Unison data platform that brings together data from a lot of different sources, starting with the student information system and the learning management system. And then it starts to bring in different data from a lot of that growing tool landscape that we see in higher ed that has really diversified since the pandemic, yeah. right? As faculty found new tools that they brought back to the classroom with them. So that's the first pillar. And we'll talk a lot more about that, I'm sure. Uh, the second pillar is we have a content program. We call that Engage. Uh, it follows an inclusive access business model. So it's both uh, a delivery mechanism and ordering mechanism and some services that go around that. Just last year, we hit $100 million in student savings since the inception in 2017 oh, wow. of the program. So, so really happy about that. So those represent our two products and associated services. The third pillar is our size and scale, right? We do our best to negotiate on behalf of our membership uh, the best prices we can, right? Where we represent almost a million students, 65 campuses across the 14 member institutions. Uh, so we try and leverage that when we go out and yeah. work with different ed tech vendors. And Instructure has been a wonderful partner and, and the very first partner we had with the units in nine years ago. So greatly yeah. appreciate everything we've done here with Instructure. The last pillar and the one that I intentionally leave last because I think it's the most important is we have 10 very vibrant communities of practice. So across the consortium, we bring together communities around uh, faculty development, around application development, around learning analytics, around affordable content, around accessibility. Uh, And those communities not only come together to share best practices uh, and demonstrations of what they're doing, uh, the more they evolve, they're now starting to take on some collaborative work. So how do we build an application that doesn't just serve one of our members, but, but can be broadly uh, deployed across multiple members? The faculty development group just put together a learning analytics curriculum called Stepping Stones a couple of years ago for faculty, uh, and they're updating it this year with generative AI content. So it's great yeah. the, to see everybody come together and you know pull their resources for the better of the consortium through those communities of practice. And that, that partnership you talk about between Instructor and Unison really has been almost a decade of collaboration. It's very two-way. We benefit from it a lot. And so we, we highly value that partnership and have for quite some time. But let's dig back into your first pillar, UDP, and, and dig yeah. into that acronym a little bit. And uh, what is the UDP and, and you know, what, you know, how has that progressed over time? Yeah. And I'll even back it up a little bit before the UDP. So, boy, I think it was probably around 2016 or 2017, Unison always has had a mission about supporting student success, mm-hmm. and that typically manifests in affordability on our content program and, and, and data on the analytics side. So very early on, Unison stood up something called the Unison Data Warehouse that predated the data platform. That was really just a, a cloud-based Canvas hosting solution, which was great. You know, I think it got everybody's feet wet with learning data, and people were able to do some different things uh, yeah. with that data. But it quickly became apparent that in order to really 
move the needle forward, we need to sort of have a platform that doesn't just do things with LMS data. We need to bring in yeah. subsets of SIS. So we need to bring in the world data, right? data, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. LMS is great and, you know, near real time, but there's all these different, you know, kind of data sets that create a much more robust view of a student. Yeah, absolutely. So what what we really started with is what we call the Unis and Common Data Model, which is an extension of, of SEDS, the Common Educational Data Standards. That's a federal government data model here in the U.S. So we took that, we started to build upon it, and that creates what we call uh, our context data pipeline. So you can think of the data in the context pipeline as, as slow-moving data, data that describes learners and the learning environment. So things you would see on a transcript, things you would see on an admissions application, things you might see in, in something like Canvas in terms of how many points is a course worth, right? How many assignments are in a course, those kind of mm-hmm. things. So that's the first pipeline we have. The second pipeline is our event or behavioral data pipeline. Uh, so every time students are making different kinds of clicks and environments that spools off an event, uh, and we're very big fans of one ed text caliper format. Yeah. Uh, so we adhere to that caliper format. And again, instructor has been great working with the caliper format with us there. So we get lots of data from instructor on that. And what that does then is every 24 hours on the context side and almost real time on the event side, this data comes in and lands inside of the units and data platform. And what was originally thought of as a platform that would be designed to support academic and institutional research has evolved over the years. Uh, I heard some of the, the earliest discussions around the UDP is aspiring to be the biggest learning laboratory in the world, right? Oh, wow. How do we sort of create this? And then we yeah, still aspire yeah. to that. But what we found after more and more people have gotten their hands on this, we do see some academic research, a little more institutional research. But what we see a lot more of are things like application development, reporting, IT integrations, right? We see a lot more activity in those spaces. So I always like to say when we talk to, to potential units and members is that there's no wrong way to UDP. It's flexible enough that, that you, can, you can take it in all these different directions. It really just depends on where do you want to start? Yeah. Right. Well, what's the starting point? That's testament to how powerful it is, really. Like the, the fact that it can be, you know, people are just still discovering different usages for it, that collaboration that enables is that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it's definitely been interesting. And one of the more interesting things we've done recently is created uh, a synthetic UDP data set. So you can think of this as data that represents a fictional, uh fictitious university, so yeah. to speak. So we've taken kind of the the shape of UDP data, so class district uh, number of class sections, number of students in an institution, the distribution of grades across courses, and basically not anonymized but totally sort of fabricated data that fits this shape, yeah, right yeah. of a UDP, uh, and that's been really interesting because as you can imagine, the UDP has all sorts of very PII information in it, right? You can't yeah. just allow every everybody in institution to have access. Something, so something that we struggle with, right? We, you know, we have to protect the data that we have. We mm-hmm. can't use it for a lot of different things. Creating that kind of model that fits the shape and mm-hmm. uh, attributes of a of an institution, but then can be uh, manipulated in different ways to actually experiment with. That's incredibly powerful. I, I've actually not heard of of something at that scale before. That's incredible. Yeah, and, and we just started, right? So we just released it to support a hackathon that our members got together at Colorado State University in October. So they were yeah. able to collaborate, which is hard, again, because there's PII and all this data. Yeah. So if it's, yeah. it's, it's fictionalized, you can actually have people working out of the same data set and getting 
not actionable insights, but getting insights that, you know, look realistic so they can take yeah. what they do collaboratively and then apply that same code to yeah. their instance. It might guide the, the focus when they get back to their campus. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Yeah, well, so we're really excited about the synthetic data and, and the use cases just keep sort of unfolding in, in, in that oh, space, I, I which can is imagine really exciting. That. I'm thinking of use cases for us at Instructure <laughs> using that, so that's amazing. <laughs> I, yeah. I know based on talking to Melissa yesterday that uh, a lot of your doctoral work has been around AI uh, and probably predates the the AI revolution, the generative AI revolution that we've seen over the last year. Tell us a little bit more about that because I think that's, that's definitely one of those hot topics that dominated the last year. I don't think it's going to go away this year. So uh, tell us a little bit more about your background there. Yeah, yeah. The cat is certainly out of the bag now <laughs> right, with the AI. Uh, so it was probably... Boy, uh, 2010, 2012, when I was at Penn State, we first started to look at grade predictions, right, or persistent mm-hmm. predictions for classes or for students and classes. And we had a vendor partner at the time we were working with to do some pilots for a variety of reasons, you know, that, that the pilot never went full scale. Uh, and right around that time, I had the opportunity to hire my first data scientist, which was a, a very sort of eye-opening experience for me. So we picked up the prediction work because there were still folks interested in going down that path. Uh, So after close to a year of of working on this, we created what we call a day zero prediction model. So this is before a class even starts, how well can we predict what a student's end grade, right, will be in that class. So we spent a lot of time tuning this. And I think when we had it finely tuned after running it a few times, uh, we were about 85% accurate to a half letter grade. So at the beginning of the semester, if we ran this for uh, a biology class, right, and it, the the algorithm said that there was going to be a, a student that was going to get a B at the end of the semester, 85% of the time, that student would get a B plus, B or B minus, yeah. right? So so we had it tuned really well, but we fell into this trap that is not uncommon in, in, in ed tech is that we, we had a solution looking for a problem. Yeah. Right? The, that we weren't quite sure how to, you know, we haven't talked about that on the podcast before, right? Especially with AI tools, we see, we've already seen some of those kind of little startups that are very much not, they don't know the problem yet. They're, they've got yes. a great, a, a great technology. They don't know exactly what problem they're solving. Yeah. Yeah. So we had, uh, we had some internal grants and we did some things with that, but it may have been too early. It may have been the yeah. wrong use case, right? It just never kind of, yeah, off. we, we uh, you know, at my, you know, during my sun guard days, we spent a lot of time working around, you know, kind of the same box of predictive analytics. Uh, you know, how do we make sure that we use those predictions in a positive way around students? Yeah. But honestly, the the models that we were looking at were probably pretty immature compared to what you were exploring. And so I do think at the time there was so much fear around uh, using that punitively or yeah. Um, really using it for the wrong focus. And I think now yeah. revisiting some of that, you'll probably see some of that surface. It certainly certainly was an interesting time. So from that, we, we moved on to uh, a couple other projects, and some of these involved some, some faculty and some graduate students we were working with at the time. Uh, one of the more interesting projects is, is we called it B-Book X, and I don't think the actual demo's out there anymore. There's some research articles out there on this. We were trying to figure out how we could apply AI to the sort of OER affordability problem, right? You know, good good OER is fantastic, but it's hard to create. It's time intensive. It's and how do you sustain it, right? There are all these challenges with sort of sustaining really high quality OER. 
And we were trying to figure out, is there a way in which a human working with some kind of AI agent could rapidly generate high quality OER? It was sort of a, a challenge we were wrestling yeah, with. Yeah. So what we did in, in our prototype is we took Wikipedia. Wikipedia is a wicked good data set, right? So, so a lot of the work we did, we used Wikipedia as a data set. And we created a an application that was much the way that the first time, if people remember the first time they signed up for Netflix, uh, where you <laughs> sign up and, and you're presented with these different movies and you kind of, I like these, I don't like these, right? Yeah. And it tries to hone in. It was a similar workflow. So you would go through chapter by chapter. You would put in some phrases and things you wanted a chapter about. We would generate Wikipedia stubs for you. And then you would say, yeah, out of these 10, I like these three. I don't like these seven. And then we would run it again. We now had 10 more pieces of data about, you know, what you're after. And each iteration, the recommendation engine would get a little bit stronger. And what we found, a couple of things that we found is that uh, number one, a book is too big of an object to try and sort of generate this way. You know, yeah. there's a reason we have publishers and all these other things, right? That that a, a book was just too big. I had a colleague that said, what you've put together here is a Frankenstein book building tool. Uh, <laughs> and he said it in a very genuine and sort of like congratulatory way. Like this is yeah. really interesting, but it's kind of like this goofy Frankenstein thing, right? The other thing we came away with that was, I think, a little more compelling and led us down a different path is that by the third iteration of the recommendation engine, we had faculty members that were, you know, experts in their discipline that were finding something new they didn't know before that they could repurpose into a case study, into a discussion activity, into, uh, so we took that and ran with it. We created another prototype that was a similar recommendation engine, but instead of trying to create a book, something massive, Mm -hmm. we, we tried to hone it into, can we find you a single idea you can purpose into something in your course? Uh, we called that Eureka again. I don't don't think that's out there anymore, but that was the whole idea is, can we get you a a, a single nugget? Right. Uh, because if I have to teach at nine in the morning, it's nine at night the day before I can't call all my colleagues and, 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 you know, chat for 30 minutes about what kind of case (laughs) study can I roll out tomorrow morning? Uh, it was designed to kind of, wrestle with that a little bit it's interesting because you know the personalized learning has been one of those kind of potentials around ai um that has been thrown a lot but i have not heard as much around you hear a lot about student tutoring or mm-hmm. um you know alleviating educator workload things like that but like the personalized learning it's thrown out there in a very nebulous way i love hearing that kind of approach to like you can really start honing in on on you know what a what an educator can focus on what students or what an individual student needs in the classroom. I think that's really interesting. There's, I think we're going to see more of that emerging. Yeah, yeah. And the personalization, I think, I think that's, I think, what we all aspire to with AI, mm-hmm. right, is how do we make a student's journey, it, you know, they could be in a class of 100, 200, 400, you know, however big the class is, how yeah. do we make that journey a very personalized journey, yeah, yeah. right, without the faculty member having to spend 10 hours, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. a significant amount of time with all hundred of those students, right? The faculty yeah. member goes from that whole sage on the stage to the guide on the side, but the AI helps a huge amount in, in sort of that yeah, whole personalization sweep there. Yeah. So as we talk a little bit about, you know, Unison's work around the UDP, um, how does AI play a role in that? How does, how does that, those big data sets now, you've pulled all this data together, how do you use AI uh, to to make it more useful? Yeah, it, it's interesting that when the UDP started and still where it is now, it, it's predominantly infrastructure, right? So the way I often frame it right now is that we have created a phenomenal AI staging ground, 
right? Because of our common data model, because of Caliper, all of the data is highly structured, highly mm -hmm. defined, right? Which is really important, particularly in machine learning, if people want to go down that path of AI. Yeah. Uh, so we've created an incredibly AI-ready environment for folks. Uh, and some of our members do experiment with some AI things. Yeah. So some of them have taken it down that road. Uh, my opinion at the moment, and after talking to a lot of people and being in this space for a while, is that in terms of AI and sort of the teaching and learning workflows and landscapes, don't think the majority of us are ready for that in higher ed. Some sort of yeah. scalable AI, why, you know, big, big sort of implementation. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're still in that phase of exploration, research, experimentation, and things like that that yeah. will get us there. What we are ready for is what I like to call descriptive statistics at scale, right? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, we have so much data in so many silos that can help so many people make decisions, can inform decisions all around our institutions, particularly around student success, but it's hard to, to bring it all together, right? It's mm -hmm. hard to harmonize it. And you need specific skill sets, you need policy, you need all these things to be in place to really get to that, that point. So what we see a lot of folks now uh, around Unison is figuring out ways to use our data platform to sort of tease out concepts like student activity in their digital learning environments, yeah. where they bring together all this different data, whether it's data science or just descriptive st statistics techniques, apply that to the data and do it across the whole board, the whole undergrad enterprise. And then they provide that kind of data roll up sometimes to advisors. We see a lot of advising activity with uh, different types of these things being positioned to, to advisor facing kind of audiences. We see a lot of teacher activity. Some of, I think the more interesting applications are student facing how it's their data, right? So how do we take yeah. their data sort of present it in a different way and mirror it back to them in a way that yeah. helps them sort of inform the the best wet path to success in a course. Yeah. Right. So I, uh, I think we're going to get there with AI, but for right now, you know, my money's more on the descriptive statistics in the teaching and learning space. I, I do like the chat bots. The chat bots seem yeah. to be kind of a, a nice addition. We see that now on admissions sites. We see that now on advising sites. We're slowly seeing those sort of inside of teaching and learning environments, which is great. Yeah. And I think that's a and it's funny because they're spot. not necessarily new, but they're just much better, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, so last year, I like to say 2023 was the year of uh, AI fear. And now we're moving into a, a, you know, a more productive year around AI in 2024. But how, how do you think... AI and data, you know, how we, the biggest fear that remains is the negative impact of AI on education. My daughter's a freshman at the University of Utah, you know, and, and we've, we've had her on the podcast and um, talking about, you know, just they need to hear from their educators what's appropriate, how to use it more yeah. effectively, things like that. But how do we use data to ensure that AI isn't uh, lessening the value of education or, um, you know, students aren't necessarily turning to the easy paths? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, this is a moving target as, as I talk to more and more people, you know, my own thoughts sort of emerge. I guess I'll start with, uh, my own teaching experience. So I, t I was teaching in the spring of 23, which is one of the, the, you know, that's when really chat GPT, in my opinion, kind of took off in the classroom, yeah. right? With students. And one of the first things I did was try and get a sense of its utilization, but did it not in a punitive way? It was more yeah. of a, Hey, look, you know, there's this technology out here. It's really interesting, right? Uh, you would be foolish, in my opinion, not to use it, right? To experiment with it. 
you would also be foolish to copy and paste out of it, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it could be, and we would go through demonstrations of why, right? The way the way in which it can hallucinate and provide sort of yeah. just inaccurate information. But I think it really opened the door in my class for the rest of the semester on certain assignments. Some of the students would say, "Can we use ChatGPT for this?" Yeah, like, well, yeah. well, how how would you use it? Talk to me about you know how you would do that, right? At the end game here, I think, is how do we build you know, for lack of a better phrase, like AI literacies, you know, we've gone through, you know, critical thinking literacies, you know, social media literacies, all the, all these sort of communication literacies. And I I think that's where we need to start thinking about is that the cat's out of the bag. These, these large language models are here to stay. Our employers who are hiring our students are going to expect students understand how how to work with these in productive yeah. and effective ways, and yeah, and and ethically, right? Like using yeah, the wrong yeah. ways, not you know, not uh, in the wrong ways. And I I love that term that AI uh, literacy piece, and and you know, I think I think every educator at the you know whether it's high school or higher ed needs to be having those conversations in their classroom as opposed to saying no AI, don't ban mm-hmm. it, like. I think it needs to be a productive two-way conversation, like you said. Yeah, and I, and I, I think it, the framing is is critical, right? You just have to mm-hmm. kind of frame it the right way and make sure students feel like it's not taboo. Taboo, and yeah, uh, it's it's interesting as I talk to different faculty members from different disciplines, the take is really really different, right? Uh, there are a lot of of disciplines that have traditionally relied on high stakes multiple choice exams, right? Yep. Or, or high stakes essays and those kind of things. And those are, are good in certain instances, right? Uh, and some of those folks are a little scared of, of what yeah. this means. And then I've talked to some other faculty members uh, and colleagues of mine that are in disciplines like design. And they were like, this is a, this is a, a watershed moment in design. Like we yeah. can come up with so many ideations and prototypes. 3x 5x faster than we ever could yeah. this is magic right from somebody, I've heard, something here. you know the, the people that i've heard like with fear around especially the the image design and things like that are never the designers the designers are like this is awesome i love yeah. this I can, I can do rough drafts all day and then create a final version i'm never handy i'm never like the final version is never good enough right yeah uh, yeah it's like you know we did a podcast early last year and People said, what about the librarians? And and my answer is, the librarians should be the experts in this. I don't think librarians <laughs> are worried about this. I think they're the ones out exploring the tools. Yeah, and it's really interesting. You know, Unison is not a, a large organization. We're a fairly small nonprofit. So, you know, in my, my role as interim CEO, I also inherit things like marketing responsibilities, right? <laughs> and these other things, right? Because we don't have teams to do this kind of stuff. So, I use these tools all the time, not to write press releases for me, right? But but I'll kind of have some ideas on things that I want to put out there. I'll go yeah. into Bard or ChatGPT. It'll generate some interesting idea, ideas for me, and it unblanks the page, right? It yeah. gets me. Yeah. It, it helps sort of get get me going much more quickly, right? Which yeah. again, I think there's all these interesting use cases that. Uh, will it take away jobs in the future? Maybe, and probably some, but will it, will it expedite and catalyze the ability for us to get to places faster and maybe even of higher quality? Yeah. 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 That's pretty impressive. Well, I love the, you know, things like writing a press release, like you mentioned, there's no, it, it doesn't write press releases well. I've, I've tried it a couple of times, right? But <laughs> yeah. when you say, Hey, give me five brief social media posts off of this you know, teaser headlines mm-hmm. for the press release. Those are the simple little tasks that it's good at. And yeah. it'll get better. But I also think 
we, you know, remembering these are a tool, whether you're a designer using Adobe Illustrator or you're using, you know, Dali, like it's just the tool that someone has to be driving. And so I do think maybe some of the more simple jobs might go away, but I still think it's just, we, it's only as good as we, the, the driver are. So. Yeah. And, and it also, in terms of use cases, uh, I find a lot of these applications, the large language model, really good at summarization. So if yeah. you have a lot of different kind of, whether it's open-ended survey questions, whether it's a, a transcript of a two-hour meeting, right? Whatever it might be, like it's really, really good at that. Uh, and so, some of my colleagues that have, you know, been trained in qualitative research are, again, equal parts, maybe a little terrified, but also excited because it's like, yeah. man, a lot, a lot of, I mean, it, it does this really well. And this used to take a lot of hours to call through and it, things. And someone's and, still got to double check and make sure it's being yeah. accurate. It's not, it's not <laughs> inaccurate with confidence, right? Like we, yeah. so, so in the next year, you know, looking at data and AI and what Unison is working on, what are you most excited about? What do you think, what's your kind of prediction for 2024? There's on-ramps, right? I, I think making on-ramps into, first, again, just the use of data at scale, descriptive statistics at scale, but then make, just continuing to build the on-ramps into the AI uh, is going to be really, really important. One of the, the things that we spend a lot of time on at Unison is that the average Unison data platform is somewhere around 14 terabytes, right? And that's no multimedia, uh, right? That's all yeah. textual. It's, it's pretty yep. big. It, it takes people with specific skills to turn that data into information, a different set of people to deliver that information to the right people at the right time that can then use it to inform decisions. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to spend a lot of time doing is how do we, how do we do sort of pre-calculated things on top of that 14 terabytes to make it easier for people to come in and get the high value information, right? So, uh, two examples. One, one is around what we call different measures of last activity. Uh, so we have what we call a data mart, which is flattening down, you know, a lot of this data and pre-calculating things. And, and yeah. one of the data marts is on last activity. And that includes things like last login to all the different tools we have data for, last assignment submission, last discussion post, right? So depending on which type of activity you need for a specific workflow or use case, there's one flattened table you can go to and just pull out, right, you know, one or more of those. Uh, same thing for student activity, right? So we have a, a student activity data mart that essentially looks at all of that event data that students are generating. Uh, and if you have all of the event data for every student in a class, you can create what we like to call the fictitious student as defined by the data, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then you can do comparisons, right? You can compare every student's activity data to that fictitious average. And there's different statistical methods you can use there. But depending on the outcome of that, you might make different decisions as an advisor, yeah. right? If, when, and how I should reach out to that student. This just pre pre presents a another window into the, the sort of knowledge and sort of picture I have of this student in addition yeah. to my personal experience, my relationship with that student, right? All those things. So we're going to spend a lot of time in continuing down this path to try and cook down this 14 terabyte, you know, data into easier to access places mm -hmm. that people can come and get data. Uh, so that's one thing. The second thing that we're working on as well is what I like to call uh, things that you can get out of the box with the Unison data platform. Mm -hmm. When we first start, stood this up, we spent a lot of time with institutions getting their data in, right, to the environment. Yeah. And then it still requires a lot of resources to then get that data out in meaningful yeah. ways. 
So we're standing up some different things that once a Unison data platform is in place for a member, they just have access to some of the data marts. We have some pre-built dashboards now that they have access to things like you know, how many LTI applications are being launched in a window yeah. of time. And then once, a, if we have the data, once someone leaves, you know, the LMS and goes into that environment, what's the frequency of use in that environment before they then come back into the LMS, mm-hmm. right? Because we have that event data over there, those kind of things. So we're building out-of-the-box applications there. Uh, University of Michigan has built something called My Learning Analytics. They call it Myla for short. Uh we run that too for members that might want that. It's a student-facing learning analytics application to oh, build yeah. self-regulated learning schools. So once you have a Unison data platform, you can opt in for that. Okay. Uh, the last thing we're working on in terms of this out-of-the-box concept, and and I'm really interested in how we can provide instructors value in the reflective teaching space. When you teach a course, especially if it's 16 weeks, it's hard to reflect holistically at the end of that course. Like what just happened in the last yeah. 16 weeks of this class? Yeah. I and mean, if you're teaching three classes, what just happened in yeah. the last, you might you know? the last couple of weeks? And the, yeah. Yeah. So, so we have a, an LTI application right now that we're working on that we're trying to figure out what kind of rollups can we provide our uh, teachers that are designed to be looked at, you know, between teaching, right? So I just got done teaching a course in the fall. I have to teach again in the spring in a few weeks can I come in and look at some data and first understand, you know, are there certain points that I might want to redesign? Is there an assignment that just doesn't seem to get the job done or people are not doing well on? Is there content that's not lining up? The second thing we hope to do is be able to help or help teachers lead students to success in the future. So if uh, if we can surface patterns of behaviors that successful students exhibit, maybe that teacher the next time can sort of, you know, the first or second day, Students in my class that are successful typically exhibit these types of behaviors, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not a surefire way to an A, but at least gives you some hints of yeah, this is the kind of stuff, right? And and the last thing that we're working on, and this is more of the the stretch goal, and this is bringing back the AI piece, is we're trying to figure out how to put a, a, a natural language interface in front of the UDP. Yeah. So oftentimes at, at institutions, uh, some of the individuals that have the biggest, most complex problems uh, are the people that that maybe don't have the skills and or the time to dive into a UDP and, and you know, generate and analyze. Right. Yeah. But if you can layer a natural language interface in front of all that data and just be able to ask questions of the UDP. Right. You know, maybe it's week 15 and I'm a. A department chair and I can say, you know, how many of my students right now have a CD or F across, across all of these swaths of courses? Yeah. And you can just get that answer, right? So much, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, and that was really the power of ChatGPT, right? That ability mm-hmm. to easily interact with that chatbot in a way that opened it up to, you know, millions of people as opposed to the subset that could write more, uh, kind of customized queries. Yeah. Yeah. We, we think that, you know, it's, it's, it may, might not be the most, mesmerizing sort of jaw-dropping example of, of how you know how it could but it's certainly practical and Pretty i think impre- it, yeah it, it should it, have a big impact yeah yeah it democratizes the data right we, we you'd have to do it in a way that still adheres to governance policy and those kind of things but of i think it would greatly lower the barrier of people being able to sort of bring data to inform lots of interesting decisions they have to make you know to support different pieces yeah. of students success well bart I can't thank you enough for joining us today on the podcast, sharing your expertise. 
I'm looking forward to to working with you this year on on what Unison's working on, what all mm-hmm. the schools are developing, uh, and and frankly, we'll probably have you back later in the year to to <laughs> you know, do an update on these because uh, you know it's really exciting work you're doing. So, thank you again for joining us. Can't can't wait to talk to you again in the future. Oh, you're welcome, Ryan. This was a lot of fun. I look forward to it again sometime. Awesome. Well, that's the wrap for another InstructureCast podcast. As always, if there's topics you'd like to cover, shoot us an email at InstructureCast at Instructure.com or ping us on the social medias. Thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of InstructureCast. We're grateful to have you as part of our vibrant community of teachers, educators, administrators, and education enthusiasts. Don't forget to find us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and share the ed love with your fellow educators. Together, we'll keep igniting that spark of inspiration, celebrating the art of teaching, and embracing the heart and soul of learning. And remember, the Instructure community is the heartbeat of our adventure, where more amazing content, valuable advice, and lively discussions await you with like-minded individuals who share your passion for education. As we wrap up this episode, we hope you're inspired to keep grooving, learning, and making a difference in the lives of your students and peers. We're so excited to hear about your new adventures. Make sure to take us with you.